0: We just stepped on their face with a boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Welcome to the Tidal Run Podcast. I'm your host, David Thay, coming to you today from the Mario Brothers Studios to talk to you about the 2023 Atlanta Falcons draft. If you're new to the show, please be sure to like and subscribe. Follow us on social media, Facebook and Twitter. And as always, you can email us questions at titlerunsports at gmail.com. So we're roughly three days away from the NFL draft. This is being recorded Monday evening and the Falcons are in a really interesting situation where, as they said at the number eight pick, they have an entire bevy of options to the point where there is really no strong contentance on who the Falcons will take. And as you shift through all of the pre-draft media, there's just been a wide range of possible outcomes that people think. It's Miles Murphy one week. It's Bijan John Robinson another week. It's Peter Skoronski another week. And there's just no general consensus on who the Falcons are going to take. It's changed wildly. So part of that is because as the Falcons have gone through this offseason, they have continued to address some of the gaping needs on their team. So I want to start before we get into the conversation of what the Falcons are going to do in the draft about talk, by talking about what they've already done. And it's been a lot. As we knew, coming into this offseason, the Falcons had an enormous amount of cap space in which to improve their team. And while it was tempting to go for a few big-ticket items, the Falcons took the other approach of going for a lot of middle-tier free agents or lower-tier free agents and filling a ton of gaps instead of trying to plug one or two. Having said that, they still did get some high-end big-ticket items. So starting with the O-line, they re-signed Caleb McGeary after a career year locking up the spot at tackle and kind of taking that position off the board as a possible draft pick at eight. And they extended Chris Lindstrom. And if you remember, Lindstrom was drafted number 14 overall in the 2019 draft, which is extraordinarily high for a guard. And the thing is, when you draft a guard that high, you're essentially saying, even though we know this is not good value, we believe this guy is an uber elite talent. So to really make that pick worth the while, that player has to end up being essentially the best guard in football or one of them within a few years. Well, that's where we are with Lindstrom. He's one of the probably two or three best sub-Quentin Nelson cards in all football. So that pick is one that actually looks like a good pick. And they went ahead and extended him and locked him up long term. At wide receiver, we picked up some low-cost, kind of replacement-level veterans in Mac Hollins and Scotty Miller. At running back, we did nothing. Um, at tight end, we traded for a really high-end number two tight end in Johnny Smith and at this point in his career, in his 30s, that's what Johnny Smith is. He's no longer like the pro bowl, borderline pro bowl receiver he was when he was in Tennessee. But he's still a good a good receiving tight end. At quarterback, we added a really high-end backup in Taylor Heineke, was very reasonably priced and gives you an option to start if Desmond Ritter can't do it. And the Falcons went hard in the paint addressing what was clearly the biggest issue on this team and has been the biggest issue for several years, which is the front seven. So at defensive line and edge, and some of these players kind of overlap, so I'm going to put them together. Big signing was Calais Campbell, who even at 36 years old is just a stud. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. He is just a stud. He is a class act in so many ways. He brings so much to the team beyond football, but it just so happens he's actually still good at football, so he was a great big pickup. We had David Anyamata from the New Orleans Saints, a player I don't know a lot about. He's supposedly a He's supposedly a solid rotational starter. That's all I know about him. We had signed Eddie Goldman last year, and then he retired, so we got him out of retirement. And all these guys will be rotating in our front three because we're going to base out of a lot of 3-4 looks, we believe. <laughs> and we also added Bud Dupree, who is 30 now, but at one point in his career was a really good pass rushing outside linebacker. And we rewarded Lorenzo Carter for what was a pretty good year last year and re-signed him. Then we also added Caden Ellis as a kind of inside-outside linebacker hybrid, a guy who just had a career year in New Orleans, and we added some other smaller signings at linebacker for special teams depth. At cornerback, we added Mike Hughes, former first-round pick for the Vikings, and then traded for Jeff Okuda, a top-five pick at corner, who I thought was a slam dunk to be a stud, and has really just spent almost his entire career with the Lions hurt, so they moved on from him. And then the really big ticket item was we added an elite safety in Jesse Bates, one of the five best safeties in in all of football. So those are needs we already addressed. And so when you take shots at that many positions, you take a lot of the options off the board at number eight. So what are the needs that are left? Well, the Falcons still have a glaring need at left guard, largely because they swung and not only whiffed, but like, lost their helmet and their bat into the bleachers when they tried to drag Jalen Mayfield to take that spot. At wide receiver, we still have a gaping hole because we have very little proven production out of London and Pitts because Pitts is essentially a wide receiver. And we desperately need a number two wide receiver and or number three pass catcher. And we really need one that can stretch the field. We got a little bit of that out of Demir Bird last year when we essentially rolled him out and rolled Scotty Miller in to do the same thing. But Scotty Miller has less than a 1,000 career receiving yards in four years and – Matt Collins, our other free agent pickup, is coming off a career year of 50 catches and 600 yards. That's his career year. Drake London did that as a rookie. So, again, these aren't exactly setting the world on fire, although they are solid veteran pieces. Then we still need a pass rusher. And I'm saying pass rusher because out of all the upgrades we made on the defensive front, we didn't add a single impact pass rusher. The best, as far as production, was Caden Ellis, who had a career-high eight sacks last year. And from everything I can tell about him, that seems to be kind of an outlier production year. So this leads us with the question, what other needs still need to be addressed? I still think the Falcons need a corner. Um, They waived Casey Hayward, clearing up a little bit of cap space, actually $5 million worth. And making clear that Akuda is going to be the starter opposite AJ Terrell. And I think Mike Hughes will probably be the backup, which that's good depth. But Akuda. I'm assuming the Falcons will not pick up his fifth-year option, meaning that he will likely be a free agent after this year. So if he's not good, you might want to draft a long-term option as a backup plan. And you have the option there with two corners that I really like um, that we'll discuss in a second. At running back, you need to replace Cordero Patterson, who's a free agent after this year, as a receiving complementary back. You have a great heavy-duty back in Tyler Algier, at least we think. So it would be great to get a second complimentary back that can catch the ball and maybe do a few other things differently that Algiers is not as good at because Algier is not really a factor in the passing game. And Cordell Patterson obviously offers you so much versatility in doing a lot of those things. And then I also put that we could add some more depth at inside linebacker. Um, we did not re-sign Rashawn Evans, which is an indicator of what we thought about his production last year as he was a top five tackle in the NFL. And um, no one else has signed Rashawn Evans either. So it goes to show what a lot of people thought about Rashawn Evans, a guy who I like, but who couldn't get off blocks. And as many faculty members remember, this was the knock on Keith Brooking; He would make all his tackles eight yards downfield. So um, notice one of the things I did not say was need that we need to address is quarterback. And here's my reason why. There are only two prospects that I think are clearly better than Desmond Ritter. And I don't think we have a chance of landing either one of them in a break. And I think those two are C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. I think Bryce Young is the best quarterback in the draft by a good amount, but I don't necessarily think he is the best prospect because I do understand that size is a real thing and Stroud has it and he doesn't. But I don't think there's any chance of getting either of those at eight. And so and so if with those two off the board, I don't like Anthony Richardson anywhere near my franchise, and I don't think Will Levis is a better prospect than Desmond Ritter, as I told you in the last podcast, because I don't think he does anything better than Desmond Ritter except throw the ball hard, and I don't think that translates to the NFL. So I'm not down on Levis as a prospect, but he's not clearly better than Ritter in my opinion. Now, what's tricky about this draft is that figuring out who to take is tough because this is a weak draft in my opinion. Uh, It's weak at safety and wide receiver and running back. It's actually pretty good at defensive line, especially interior defensive line, and it's good at corner. And it's generationally good at tight end, which is interesting to me because we decided to go ahead and sign Johnny Smith, which is great, but you know, maybe you could have gotten a Tyler, maybe you could have gotten a Musgraves from Oregon state in the second round or Darnell Washington from Georgia in the second round and maybe filled some of that need for guys that can block and or catch. So, but we went with a proven veteran, which again does provide some benefit because it frees you up to take best player available. Now, Again, the issue is the holes the Falcons have at positions like wide receiver and guard are not good values at number eight in this draft. There's not a Quentin Nelson or Chris Lindstrom in this draft to take at that spot. And if you go best player available, you're not plugging an immediate hole. So again, what do you do? Well, obviously, some of this depends on the boards to fall. So a few options that I would consider if I was the Falcons. First of all. If they are available, I would take Will Anderson, I would take Jalen Carter, I would not take Tyree Wilson, I would take Christian Gonzalez, I would take Devin Witherspoon. Those are all people that I would feel comfortable taking at 8. I would consider taking Jackson Smith and Jigba if they are sold that he is a high-level slot weapon. I would also consider taking Bijan Robinson because I believe Bijan Robinson is one of the three best players in this draft. Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, and Bijan Robinson, I believe, are the best players in this draft in whatever order you want to put them. And I believe that Bijan Robinson is not just a good running back prospect, but a borderline generational running back prospect. I'm not quite ready to put him in the Adrian Peterson category, but I think he might be pushing the Todd Gurley category. I said this when Todd Gurley came out. I thought he was the best running back prospect since Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson's last running back in, what, the last 30 years to win an MVP and Gurley finished second to Tom Brady. And you've probably heard people say that he's the best prospect to come out since Saquon Barkley. I actually think he's a much better running back prospect than Barkley. And I'll talk, to some, I'll talk about some of the reasons why here in a few minutes. Now you notice I did not say Tyree Wilson in my list of players that I would consider taking. And here's my reason why. Tyree Wilson to me is a very, very elite physical prospect. I think his tools are off the chart. He's powerful, but I didn't see a variety of moves in his pass rush. A lot of times, I thought he stayed blocked and was slow to disengage. He wasn't super fast off the ball. And I think he's going to be a really good NFL football player, but I don't see elite pass rush upside. And for me, if the Falcons are taking an edge player, there's one thing I need him to do, and it's get quarterbacks off the ground. Wilson didn't do a ton of that at Texas Tech, never got double-digit sacks there, and I don't see him as someone that projects to do that at a high level in the NFL, although I do think he'll be a very good NFL player. The comp here is kind of like a guy like Jadavion Clowney, who's never had a 12-sack season, but everybody knows he's good at football. And again, if you want to take that at eight, that's fine. But I feel like the Falcons already have those players, players that are good at playing the run on base downs and can get you six to eight sacks. I thought we already got some of those guys, but... If you really want an elite pass rusher, I just don't think that's what Wilson's going to be. And that, to me, does not make him a very attractive pick here. I actually personally think Miles Murphy is a better pure pass rushing prospect than Tyree Wilson. And I actually like him a little bit better. He's quicker off the ball. He's got really good hands. I think he plays a little bit harder than Wilson, or at least a little bit faster than Wilson. And I just think if you're going to take a pass rusher, He is a better fit for the Falcons, although I will say I don't think he's a top eight player in this draft. So, again, that goes back to best player available or draft for need. So, if I'm the Falcons, I'm starting with the two best defensive players in this draft, and that's Jalen Carter and Willie Anderson. If either of them are there, you take them. They are the two best players at a position of weakness. And I know I just talked about needing guys that get to the quarterback, and even though Jalen Carter did not necessarily get to the quarterback at a high level as an interior lineman, You don't use the same burden of proof with a player at that position that you would with a player that's on the edge. You can't just look at his sack numbers or even his tackle floss numbers. Watch the film. Watch him destroy offensive linemen consistently, disrupt the pocket, and generally just cause havoc. And you draft that. It's that simple. Everybody would love to have a Chris Jones on Eric Donald, and Carter could turn into – well, he's not turning into Eric Donald. Carter could possibly turn into Chris Jones. But what if he just turns into Fletcher Cox and he gets you – six to nine sack years with the occasional double-digit sack year thrown in there. Oh, and he's a pro bowler just about every year. I think you'd probably take that. If the two best defensive players in this draft are not available, I would then consider pivoting to cornerback. I like the same two corners that everybody else likes. Devon Witherspoon is an absolute stud. My comp for him is Denzel Ward. He is a CB1 if I've ever seen one. He clicks and explodes to the ball like a lightning bolt. He comes down like a safety when he hits you it's like you're getting hit by a linebacker he is an extremely good tackler he's very good at off man he route reads so fast it looks like he's guessing and he is really really good at the catch point he doesn't necessarily turn good coverage in the 90s but he gets a lot of pass breakups and he has the ability to play really well in zone when he gets chances to do it which he didn't do a ton of at illinois but man if i told you you were gonna add denzel ward to your secondary would you take that the answer is yes, you would take that. <laughs> you should take that. Um, one Knocking Witherspoon is it's like 180 pounds, and people are worried about his ability to hold up. But Denzel Ward measured in the combine at 5'11", 183 pounds, and was the fourth pick in the draft. So if you're good, you're good. I think people are overthinking it with the size thing because the film doesn't lie. I mean, he was unreal this year. And the other corner I would consider taking that high is also, is Christian Gonzalez out of Oregon, who that's the same one that everybody has. Now, I do have myself, Devin Witherspoon, or Devon Witherspoon. I'm not sure you say it, but I have Witherspoon higher than Gonzalez. I think he was a better football player, but I think Gonzalez is really good. So it's like if you give, if, if Witherspoon's a nine and a half, Gonzalez is an 8.75. So it's close. And Gonzalez has the physical tools. He's over 6'1, over 200 pounds. His ball skills were elite. He dominated at the catch point. Good zone eyes and discipline. He could play press man. He can play off. He can click and drive. I don't think he's anywhere close as good of attacker as Witherspoon. And I think he's probably a little bit better in a zone scheme. Or Witherspoon is probably better in a man scheme. But Gonzalez is a really good prospect. And he's got better tools than Witherspoon. So I have a hard time complaining about getting either of those guys who probably project to be long-term starters alongside AJ Terrell at cornerback. And if Jeff Akuta ends up being good and you end up deciding to give him a long-term deal, you slide one of these guys in the slot, or you just have three really good corners, knowing that one's probably going to get hurt at some point. There's no such thing as too many good corners in the NFL. It's like not having it's like in baseball, you can't have too many good starting pitchers. Now, if those two are off the board, a couple corners that you might be able to circle around to in the second round, guys like Keely Ringo, who I don't have to tell you about. Y'all know who he is. He's a big physical corner. He's got good long speed. Um, he's a little stiff in the hips. Not great at the catch point all the time, but second round, he's a great project to pick up. If this guy makes the second round, you have to be really high on Deontay Banks. He's got really good makeup speed. He's super athletic. He's big, like six foot, six foot one, close to 200 pounds. Really good at clicking and driving the ball. I know y'all heard me say that a lot. He's got good ball skills. He's a good tackler. Really good tackler. Not quite as good as Witherspoon, but a really good tackler. And... He has the size and tools to be a good NFL player. He's the kind of guy that a team's going to draft in probably the late first, early second round, and he's going to be a really good starter within three years. Pro bowler? Maybe not, but just a really good football player. And another one is Emmanuel Forbes, and a lot of people have heard about. Um, he is long, and man, you, you think Witherspoon's skinny, this guy's like 166, 170 pounds, and he is competitive. Again, you're noticing a trend here. Really good ball skills. Gets his hand on the balls a lot. But he is a bit of a gambler. He'll peek in the backfield and jump routes. And he does get them. He gets pick sixes. But he also will occasionally get in the trail because he has bad eyes at times. He is surprisingly physical with his tackling. And he just is a guy that has that dog. And it makes you interested in him. So he'd be a guy that I would consider in the second round if we weren't able to to get one of those elite corners that I really like in the first round. Now, at receiver, I mentioned this is not a great receiver draft. One of the reasons being this receiver class is full of midgets. It's a bunch of five ten, 170 to 180-pound guys that can run really fast. And as the Falcoholic put it, we all know that Arthur Smith thinks that his receiver should be able to reach up and tickle God's feet. So, so guys like Jordan Addison, Tank Dell, and Zay Flowers, who are, all good players. I really like Dell and and uh, Flowers. Actually, I just don't know that those are Arthur Smith guys. They're small. They don't have a big catch radius, and I don't think any of them are very good blockers from what I've seen. So that doesn't really fit the Arthur Smith mold. So to me, the only guy that you could consider taking at eight would be Jackson Smith and Jigba, which is okay. But again, I don't know that he's the eighth best player in this draft. And while the positional value of taking a wide receiver eight is very good because, as I discussed a couple years ago, the 10th best wide receiver in the NFL is more productive than the best tight end in the NFL, even when the tight end in the NFL is Travis Kelsey. The years that Kelsey was breaking records, he finished like fourth in the NFL in receiving yards, I think, or maybe even lower than that. So a good receiver is always more valuable than a good tight end. But on a team that is absolutely starved for playmaking at receiver and In a draft that isn't particularly deep at playmaking receivers, it's not a terrible pick. Now, maybe you go reach in the second round and get someone like a Cedric Tilleman or in the third round, or maybe you go get someone like a Jonathan Mingo later on, or you grab a Jalen Hyatt in the second round. Those are on the table. But I don't love the idea of taking a receiver at eight in this particular draft, even though I think Smith and Jigba probably would be the pick if you go that route. Because the guy that seems like the most Arthur Smith pick in Quentin Johnston isn't a great fit at number eight because he's probably the 25th best player in this draft. So you're not getting good value for that pick, and that's what we refer to as a reach. You get draft for need and not according to the talent available. So summarizing kind of what I think the Falcons should do, edge rusher first, corner second, then if neither of those are available, you have to really take a hard look at Bijan Robinson. Bijan Robinson is the best running back prospect since Todd Gurley. I said it earlier. While he doesn't have the freakish measurables Saquon Barkley did coming out of Penn State, he is more physical, he has better feet, and I think his hands are just as good. And the question here is, is there any value in taking a running back at eight? And this is what Scott and I have been hotly debating. The Falcons don't seem to care about positional value which, as Scott's pointed out, can be problematic. And what I said in response to that, and we're going to debate this on our next post-draft show, is does positional value matter if you're taking an elite prospect? Well, depends on the prospect. I don't care if you think you're drafting the best guard in the history of the NFL. You ain't taking him number one. I don't care if you're drafting the best inside linebacker that's ever played football. You're not taking him at number four. It, it just doesn't work. And so, even if you think that you're taking an all-time elite prospect at certain positions, it still just doesn't make sense. And some people feel that running back's one of those positions. I, for one, do not. But I will say this. If you're taking Bijan John Robinson, who checks every running back box imaginable, vision, feet, long speed, production, health, hands, not great in pass protection, what rookie running back is, if you want a nitpick. Um... You are essentially saying, this guy, I think, is going to be such an elite player at his position that we value his eliteness over positions that have far more value on the field, such as wide receiver, quarterback, offensive tackle. A lot of people want us to take Peter Skronsky there, or even quarterback. So that's what you have to decide. If you truly believe that you're drafting the next Adrian Peterson and Bijan Robinson, then the number eight pick is justifiable. But this is the argument that we did with the Cal Pitts pick and me saying to take Pitts four, you basically have to believe he's going to be the best tight end in the history of football and you better be right. He's been really good, but as Scott pointed out, he hasn't turned our franchise around. But my counter to that is, well, (laughs) neither did JJ Watt, neither did Ed Reed, neither did Deion Sanders. Even all time great players at their positions, if they're non-quarterbacks, if they don't turn franchises around. Adrian Peterson did not turn around the Minnesota Vikings, but the point being, if you're going to draft a non-value position at a premium spot, you had better hit, because if you don't, you're going to be unemployed, and you're going to set our franchise back years, and on top of that, when you talk about taking B's Robinson, you're talking about taking a guy to play over your rookie who you just took in the fifth round who had 1,000 yards, You could just as easily go find another really good running back in the fourth round. Pick one that you like. I don't care who it is. Israel Banakanda. Maybe he could go get you another 1,000 yards in this offense. I don't know. And you're forced to evaluate. Is it better for me to go draft a guy that's probably only going to be 80% of this elite player but going to cost less in terms of both money and draft assets? Or do we go get a player who's going to make our offense elite at the thing that we want to do and already do well? And it's a tough question to answer. Now, if the Falcons are able to trade back, which is a scenario that fans always mention that Falcons never do, well, then, yeah, there's a whole lot of other options there. That's where I like a Miles Murphy if you're in the 12 to 15 range. I like a Lucas Van Ness if you're a little bit lower than that. I like a Joey Porter as a late first-round corner. I don't really like him in the teens. I think he's a little bit stiff. um, But I like him. He's a good prospect. And it opens up a, a whole world of other possibilities if you're able to trade back. I don't think Brian Brisey, or Brisey, I can't remember how to say it. I don't think his films as good as some other people do. But he has an elite pedigree. And when he was healthy at Clemson, he was really good. He played with excellent technique. He would squeeze blocks and try to stay square. He had really good hands. Um, Didn't have an elite pass rush repertoire, which is why I don't think he's a top 10 pick. But, man, if you trade back to 16, that's good value for him. So, again... There's a lot of players that I think are good fit and would fill needs to the Falcons, just not at eight. I think the Falcons are banking on the two top quarterbacks being gone because quarterbacks don't stay on the board in the draft these days. I think they're banking on the two best defenders in the draft being gone, and Anderson and Carter. And I think the Falcons will be choosing between one of the two elite corners and Bijan Robinson at running back. And if Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot had come to the conclusion that Bijan Robinson is the next Todd Gurley or even Adrian Peterson. He's going to be the pick. <laughs> He's going to be the pick. And we'll piss him moan about value, and we will start the five-year clock for when we either franchise tag him or let him walk to get overpaid by another team. But in the five years that you have a prime, healthy Bijan Robinson, could you recreate the kind of elite offense that you had in Tennessee? And again, it is going to depend to some extent on quarterback play. Now, having said all this about the Falcons draft, I did some research, and I wanted to share with you a few comps and some of the thoughts that I had on a few other players that I've been asked about. So I'll go through this. This is really rather random, stream of conscious. So if you only wanted the Falcons stuff, you're welcome to cut the podcast off now. If you're interested in hearing my takes on a few draft prospects, stay stay tuned. So one of the ones that I went over was Hinton Hooker, and the more I watched Hooker, I was actually really impressed with him as a prospect. I think he's a first-round pick. I know that's going to surprise some of you. He's got a really strong arm. It's not Will Levis or Anthony Richardson strong, but his arm is above average. I think it's honestly kind of slept on a little bit. He is a better runner than even I remember. And I remember him being a solid runner. But when I watched back two or three of his games, the full games, not just the highlights, he was a much better scrambler than I remembered him being. And he wasn't quick to bail on place. He would sit in the pocket, and then when he took off, he made things happen. And, man, that guy's footwork and pocket movement are impeccable. I mean, they are top-notch. He is a really polished pocket passer. His accuracy was really good overall, but the deep ball is where the concerns were. He was really sporadic with his deep balls, and he left some touchdowns on the field at Tennessee. I um, he misses high in the middle more than you like. But the biggest issue is this. It's a knee injury and his college scheme, because it doesn't translate to the NFL at all. They got these crazy wide splits. He's only looking at half the field max, and most of his reads are two-man routes. It's just two guys running out, in out, he picks one and throws the ball. A lot of the matchup throws didn't require him to read. He just picked the open guy and chunked the ball. And the concepts were just super simplified and dumbed down. A lot of people talk about his age. I really don't think the age is an issue. And I'll I will disagree with people on this. I just don't. Um prime years for a quarterback isn't until their thirties anyway for some of these guys. And you got guys like Aaron Rodgers winning MVPs well under their High thirties, and again, I, I get—he's get an elite player, an all-time great. But quarterback play doesn't decline in your thirties like it does at running back or DB play. So you can be thirty at the end of his first contract if it's a first-round pick, and I don't think anybody's going to bat an eye, and you're going to resign him another five-year deal. I just don't think that's really an issue. Some comps for him, and this is going to be an old one: Aaron Brooks, another good comp from Geno Smith. A couple pocket passes with plus athleticism and good arms, and I've already kind of. Shared some of my evaluation of Anthony Richardson previously, but, man, the comps for him were hard. I came up with Deshaun Kaiser, who was a similarly physically gifted quarterback, came out of Notre Dame and bombed with the Cleveland Browns. Also had Brett Hundley. And then on the higher end, you had, you know, obviously you're going to get the Josh Allen comps, and I and I understand why. Um He's a better athlete than Josh Allen. Josh Allen was probably a better runner in college. I know it's crazy to say, but Josh Allen was a really good runner coming out of college. And um, one that I really like here is Blake Bortles. Plus athlete um, coming out of UCF. Had like really one great year there and then came in the NFL and was very up and down. And another one I had was ET Manuel. Big, strong, athletic guy. Not as good an athlete as Richardson, but big, strong, athletic guy that never really panned out in Buffalo. And then going on to Bryce Young. Y'all are so familiar with this game. I don't really feel the need to go to a deep breakdown of his game. But comps I had for him, Doug Flutie, I thought that was one that a lot of people have been sleeping on, the Doug Flutie cop. And Drew Brees is the one that you hear a lot. And for C.J. Stroud, I came up with this one with Scott and Jonathan, and then I've seen this one since. But Jared Goff is just a really good cop for C.J. Stroud. Polished, upright pocket passer, really accurate to all levels of the field. Good but not great arm strength. And I think Stroud is an above-average athlete that has average movement skills, if that makes sense. So I think he's actually athletically above average, but it doesn't really get displayed in the way he moves on the field. Um, another cop I had for him, and some of you may like or dislike this one, but it's Kirk Cousins, who for all his flaws has been a really good NFL quarterback for a long time. And really quickly circling back around a receiver, if the Falcons do trade down and a receiver is their target, Jackson Smith and Jigba, a lot of you are familiar with him, but that dude is just a wizard in the middle of the field. He's got long speed that's pretty average. He was right around four or five when he finally did get a run. But his short area quickness and change of direction are, like, elite, elite. Like, not quite Tyreek Hill, but, like, just a notch below that. That's how well his movement skills were testing-wise. And I know that's going to shock some of you, but, like, they were insane. His catch run ability is good but not elite. He can play inside and outside, which is a big thing because with the Falcons, he'd probably be an inside receiver. But he would be a... Bigger inside receiver, like 6'1 and 195 pounds. He'd be a bigger inside receiver, which might be enough for Arthur Smith, even though he's not 6'3", which is what Arthur Smith likes. And I love this comp for him, and I hope you all like it too. Tyler Boyd as his comp. And another one I have is faster Jarvis Landry. As for Quentin Johnson, you saw him in the college playoff. I know, ignore the George game, which is not Lara liar game, but he is tall and fast. He is a long strider. He looks a lot faster than his clock speed, which is like four or five, and he absolutely destroys defensive back cushions. Route running is not anything special. He separates primarily with speed, and he's really good after the catch. He's going to have to figure out how to separate with things other than speed at the next level because DBs in the NFL are fast, y'all. Um, I think he's a legit first-round talent. I don't think he's wide receiver one like he was hyped to be during the season, but I think he could be really effective early on if he's used correctly on a team that has him as a deep threat um i think he's really good at 50 50 balls and he's a red zone nightmare because he can he's got crazy hops and he's long so he could be one of those guys that is a rookie catches 40 balls but has seven touchdowns i could really see that being an outcome for him cops for him sammy watkins dj Chark, which i think is a really good one and or will fuller with better hands so that's my little mini draft preview I am really intrigued to see what the Falcons do. There's a million different directions they could go, meaning fans are guaranteed to be unhappy with whatever they do. So that's going to be fun. But I'll be back with Scott after the draft to break down what the Falcons do and piss and moan about what we didn't like or to praise what they did that we did like. So until then, this has been Dave day with the Title Run Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.